All right, brothers and sisters, what a great time of worship. Thank you, Brian Davis, dear, wonderful, sweet brother, colleague of mine leading us in worship uh, this morning, and all of the team, all three of them, in addition to Brian, who are here this morning, and then to all of our tech crew who's gathered in places that you can't even see them today to make sure that there is an avenue for us to connect together at Hillcrest to each and every one who've made today possible. Thank you very, very much. Now it's time for the people of God to get into the Word of God. And so, either on your phone or uh, on your smart device or in a regular old copy of God's Word, the good old-fashioned way, I invite you to come with me to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm 4 is where we'll be for a few minutes together today. I heard the story one time about a kindergarten class who took a field trip one day to the local fire station. And there the uh, chief at the local station was giving a tutorial about what children ought to do in the event of a fire that were to break out in their home. And he began to explain, listen, the first thing that you're going to need to do is go to a door and touch it. And then if that door is hot, you know you've probably got a fire on the other side. That'll be especially true if you look down underneath the door and there's smoke billowing out from under the door. If that's the case, the next thing that you want to do is drop to your knees. And uh, he said, who can tell me uh, why it's important if you think there's a fire and there's smoke to drop to your knees? And one of the little boys raised his hand there and he said, I know. And he looked at him and said, well, tell me what your name is. And he said, my name is Tim. And he said, well, Tim, why is it important to go down on your knees if you think there's a fire? And he said, well, we drop down to our knees so that we can start praying to God to get us out of this mess. And friends, I think all of us would agree this morning that that's an appropriate thing for all of us to do because we all know today that we're all in the middle of a great big mess. We're charting territory that we've never charted before. We're in the territory where we don't speak the language. This is a strange land in which we find ourselves this morning. Because of that, I want us to take a brief hiatus from our study in the Apostles' Creed today and speak to you for a few minutes about the subject, finding security in prayer. There's one thing that's needed today more than anything else. Would you not agree with me? It is the discipline of prayer. God's people need to pray. And many of us probably are praying now more than ever before. Some of you have probably discovered that your prayer life has been ratcheted up two or three levels in the last two or three weeks. And to be sure, one of the major reasons people pray is to move the throne of God in a specific way in their life. But not only that, we pray in order to bring a measure of confidence and security into our lives. We find a measure of assurance when we fall to our knees and pray. And that's the message of this beautiful fourth psalm. Psalm number four asks and answers the question, how can you find security when everything around you seems to be falling apart? What an appropriate question to ask in these unprecedented, uncertain, unbelievable days that we're now living in. We're living in times where things seem to be crumbling all around us. Maybe you feel that way in your own life. Kids are out of school and parents are out of their minds, in large part because the kids are out of school. 
Thousands of businesses are out of cash. Thousands of employees are out of a job. We're in unfamiliar times trying to navigate uncharted waters. And the question remains, how can we find security when everything around us seems to be falling apart? Well, that was the case with King David. That's exactly the situation that David, king of Israel, found himself in. David, of course, not uh, coincidentally, happens to be the author of the psalm that we're about to read. Psalm number four is a prayer. And in this prayer, we find that David is himself fallen into a burning ring of fire. So he falls to his knees and he prays to God in the middle of an incredible mess. Here's what it says. Follow along with me, would you? Psalm 4, beginning in verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Father, what encouraging words we have before us this morning. Would you speak through them today and remind us of the most important spiritual discipline of all in these critical times As we live in a very uncertain world, we pray that you'll remind us the incredible power that we can find when we connect to God in prayer. Speak through your word in ways that only your spirit can do, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this particular psalm is set in the context of a rebellion that happened in the life of King David of Israel. Many of you remember that David later in his kingship, had a son whose name was Absalom. And this psalm is written in response to Absalom rising up and leading a coup d'etat, an overthrow of the state against his own father. Absalom, if you'll pardon the expression, was hell on wheels. He thought he knew better than anybody else. He thought he deserved the kingdom. He thought he was more capable of running the kingdom effectively than his own father, who'd been king now for many, many years. And so suddenly and unexpectedly, Absalom rises up and he seizes power. He overthrows his own father. And in response to that, David has no choice but to vacate Jerusalem with an immediate contingent around him. He has no choice but to run for his life, and he does so, the Bible says, barefoot, weeping tears of grief, taunted and mocked by many who lined the streets along the way and who had sworn allegiance now to his son. I'm just telling you, in response to that incredible fall, David's uh, response is critical. What we see in terms of how he reacts to that is incredibly crucial for us in 
days such as the ones that we're living in now. When he needed assurance, where did David go to find it? How did he find it? He found it. And you can find it too by doing what David did, namely learning how to pray. I want you to notice three things from this passage of Scripture, three things about the prayers we pray and the means by which we should pray those prayers. First of all, security comes to those who pray with confidence. I'm just saying, brothers and sisters, now's not the time to be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love. Perfect love casts out fear, the Bible says. And so we don't have to be afraid, nor should we be afraid. But instead, we need to have a confidence that's evidenced by how we approach God in prayer. We're being reminded that we're approaching a God who we know to be a sovereign Lord, a God who is seated on the throne. And let me assure you, this has not caught God off guard. God never moves one inch to the right, one inch to the left from the very center of his own throne. And because of that, he's a God we can trust. Now, as David begins this psalm, he got trouble on his mind. No question about it. The stage is set in verse number two. Oh, man, how long shall my honor be turned into shame. Now, we don't know exactly who these men are that he's talking to. One of them probably was his own son, those leaders who had surrounded themselves, whose loyalty were now transferred from David uh, to his son Absalom, and maybe those that he's encountering along the way who are mocking him as he's in his own exodus away from the capital city of Jerusalem. But whoever they were, they're enemies of David. And they're spreading slanderous lies, malicious lies, undermining his reputation, casting doubt about his own integrity. And David's had just about all that he can take. And he asked the question that we often ask in times that we feel like God is noticeably silent in our own lives. How long? You ever ask God that? How long, oh Lord? until you get up off your throne and begin to move in obvious, powerful ways. How long will you continue to be silent to the cries of my heart? You see the level of exasperation back one psalm earlier in Psalm chapter 3. In Psalm 3 and 4 are really to be taken as a tandem together. The context is the same. They're written basically in the same kind of way, both of them as prayers. And the context here. Psalm 3 and verse 7, where David says, Arise, O Lord, deliver me, O my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. That's what I call an honest prayer. Amen. In other words, he's asking God to punch his enemies right in the mouth. Can I just say this morning, I think it's okay for the people of God to ask him to punch this virus right in the jaw, to knock it out in a way that glorifies the power of his incredible name. But to his credit, when it came to matters of assurance, matters of confidence, living with a calmness and an assurance rather than living in fear, David turned to God in prayer. In his distress, he had the spiritual sense not to take matters into his own hands, not to do whatever he thought was best. He placed his situation in the hands of a sovereign God who's never caught off guard, and who does all things well. Can I just say this morning that the words, if they are words, oops and uh-oh, are not in the vocabulary of God. He's a God we can trust. 
David prays, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You've given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. Now, the thing about that prayer in that verse is that really there's nothing wholly significant about it. Or, well, there's a lot significant about it. There's nothing specific about it. It's kind of a, a general request to God. No particular thing is mentioned. His prayer here is really a cry for relief. What David's asking for is get me out of this time of distress. David feels hemmed in. He feels spiritually claustrophobic. And he goes to God asking for God to give him some maneuvering room, some room to breathe. And listen, when you're in really tight circumstances like he's in, Relief is sometimes the only thing you know to ask for. Have you ever been in a situation like that? There have been many times in my life where I really wasn't sure how to couch the prayer. I wasn't sure how to put the sentences together. I wasn't really sure what the right words to use. I didn't know what to pray for. All I could do was ask God to answer my call, to be aware of my distress, to be gracious to me, and to honor my prayer. Because there are times it's just hard to pray. It was a father one time who was walking down the hallway of his house, and he passed his son's bedroom, and he heard his son talking out loud. There was nobody else in the room, and as he passed that bedroom, he paused to listen to what was going on in the room, and he heard his son just reciting the alphabet, but periodically along the way, he would call on the name of God, O Lord, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. Oh, God, H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. And the longer he prayed, the more sanctified his voice became. Q-R-S-T-U-V-W-X-Y. Oh, God, and Z. And the father had no idea what was going on. Finally, he opened up the door, and he said, what in the world are you doing? The son's face got all red. And he said, Dad, I'm sorry. He said, actually, I was, I was talking to God. He said, you were talking to God. Sounded to me like you were reciting the alphabet. He said, yeah, I got some things on my mind, and I'm really not sure what to say. And so I thought I would just give God the letters and have him put them together in the right way. I've prayed like that many times in my own life. I tell you, the thing about that boy is he was praying with confidence. Even though his confidence wasn't in himself, he knew whatever was going on in his mind and in his spirit, he couldn't control it. He couldn't do anything about it. But he knew the one who could. And he knew where to go in his times of trouble, in his times of discouragement, when he needed assurance, even though he wasn't quite sure what to say. He went to God in prayer. That's praying with confidence even though you don't know what to pray for. I love what Paul says in Romans 8 and verse 26, because Paul reminds us that we as New Testament believers can pray with confidence like that, even though we just don't have the words, because the Spirit helps us in our weakness. You remember this verse? For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings, groanings too deep for words. Sometimes the only thing you can do is hold up a placard to God that says help with an exclamation point 
on the end. Many of us are living right there today. Here in verse 3 of Psalm 4, we see David's absolute confidence in God. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Wherever you may be, let's say that last phrase out loud together. Together, the Lord hears when I call to him. Say it again. The Lord hears when I call to him. Absolutely he does. Now, David is really speaking that, whether personally along the road or metaphorically in his heart. He's speaking those words to people who are against him, to the scoffers, to the enemies, to the abusers. They needed to know that even though they were mocking him and even though they were abusing him, that David was a friend of God. They needed to know that he'd been bought by the Lord that he was chosen by God, that he was part of God's family, that he had confidence in God and that God was by his side and he was by the side of God and that God was on his side. They needed to know that his Lord could be trusted to hear when David called his name. Do you know how valuable you are to God? In fact, not only is there never a time that God does not hear when you call his name in prayer, There's never a time that God is not aware of everything that's going on in your life as it goes on in life. Real time, God always knows. He's always engaged, always involved. He's never silent. He's never distant. God is always near, and he's always involved. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, they're insignificant, sparrows are. Most people don't consider a sparrow valuable in the least. And yet Jesus says not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, he'll know it. There's not a sparrow. There's sparrows everywhere, by the way. I've seen little song sparrows and house sparrows in every country that I visited around the world in every state of these 50 United States. There are sparrows, sparrows everywhere. And God's aware of the movement of every single one of them because he's the one that's made them. And not one of them, Jesus said, falls to the ground without him knowing it. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered, Jesus said. Fear not, therefore. Amen. Fear not. You are of more value than many sparrows. Man, that's a remarkable statement. And we need to be reminded of it this morning. Whatever it was, it was keeping God silent in David's life, in David's world of hurt. It could not and it would not keep David from coming to God confidently. And let me tell you, that kind of praying is what keeps you secure. That's where the assurance comes from. It's that connection to God that yours eternally because of the presence of Christ in you, which is our hope of glory. So stay connected to God. And do not be afraid. Secondly, security comes not only uh, to those who pray with confidence. Security comes to those who pray with maturity. With maturity. Can I just say, this isn't David's first rodeo. This isn't David's first time of life complexity, life hardship, uncertain circumstances. This was a David who, as a young teenage boy, faced off with the greatest man in the land whose name was Goliath, nine foot tall. 
This was a man who had faced that giant with confidence. This is a man who was victorious over Saul. He had to run for his life from a jealous, wicked king, a murderous king who was content on taking the life of David because he saw him not as a blessing but as a threat. This was a David who had fought enemy armies, far outnumbered the armies of Israel, and had done so with victory, overcoming all odds. This is not David's first rodeo. You think he'd learned something about God from all of these many life experiences that were less than ideal? Let me summarize the maturity of David's prayer from the statements that he makes here in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 4. I'm going to give you several things to write down here that I think are important takeaways in terms of how David prays. First, don't allow your circumstances to control how you respond. Don't allow your circumstances to control how you respond. The Bible says here in verse 4, be angry and do not sin. Now, have you heard that before somewhere else in the Bible? Most of the time when we think about that statement, we think about what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. But now you know, if you didn't know it already, where Paul got that statement. David was the one who originally said it. It was recorded in the Psalms, and Paul would, have, of course, been very familiar with the Psalms of David. And so self-control, this is a reminder that self-control is a spiritual fruit. So many of us are just angry at the times. We're angry at the situation. You're going to have circumstances. Many of us are going to take a step back financially, perhaps. Many of us will take a step back vocationally. Many of us will take a step back in terms of our freedom and flexibility to do the things that we really do want to do. Man, we're used to a life of comfort. We're used to coming and going as we want to. And when those things that we once had were taken away, Sometimes you can become angry, and sometimes the first object of your anger is God himself. So it's an important reminder. It's okay to be angry, but be angry with the devil. Be angry for the demonic powers that are at work that have corrupted this world from the very beginning. But don't let those emotions control how you respond. The spirit-controlled believer, we have the spirit of Christ living within us, and the Spirit of Christ gives us the fruit of the Spirit, one of which is self-control. So the believer learns to be angry without sin. We learn to control our impulsive responses, our anxieties, our actions, our words, those times where your blood pressure feels like it's going to cause you to blow. David's first response was to seek the Lord in prayer, not to respond in anger. And by praying as a first response, man, I'm telling you, when you feel that way, go to the Lord in prayer because what that does is it slows you down. It slows you down physically. It slows you down mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And just by taking that action that slows you down, that can be kind of a calming agent in your life. It allows the Spirit of God to get a hold of your emotions and to calm you down rather than allowing your circumstances to rev you up. So, I remind you, calm is contagious. I heard a Navy SEAL say that one time. That's why it's important for all of us. When everybody else around us is panicking, there's a lot of panic going on in America and around the world today, unnecessarily so. Calm is contagious. Panic is contagious, no question about it. 
but so is calm, every bit as much. When you panic in perilous times, as so many people are doing today, it says a lot about how you really view God. I'm telling you, you're revealing a lot about the level of your faith when you give in to panic and fear and hysteria as opposed to being still, connecting with the Lord, and letting the Spirit of God remind you who's really in control. Somebody wants to find poise as the ability to keep your head when everybody around you is losing theirs. That's a great definition. So whatever you do, stay calm. Trust God. Don't lose your, your cool. Because if you do, it'll affect your spiritual life, and it'll only make things worse as we live in these very uncertain times. So don't allow your circumstances to control how you respond. Second, make sure your prayers aren't just one way. Man, we in the Western church, we are one-way prayers, typically. Praying halfway prayers to God. David says here in verse 4, ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be what? And be silent. In the first part of verse 4, the instruction is basically to be calm. Here, the instruction is real. If we can summarize it, be still. First, David says, be calm. Now David is saying, be still, which is something else prayer helps you to do in a good way. The phrase, ponder in your hearts, is really the single word, meditate. David says, be still and reflect in your heart. Meditate. Well, meditate on what? Well, meditate on the Lord. Meditate on his word. Meditate on how God has moved in your life in the past, how God has been faithful. As the old song says, learn to count your blessings. Name them one by one. Let it surprise you what the Lord has done in your life. This is the value of stillness, of meditation, of reflection for the one who follows after Jesus Christ. Psalm 4610 is one that we quote perhaps as much as any, be still and know that I am God. And you cannot divorce stillness from spiritual knowledge. In order to know God in all of his fullness, you have to learn to be still and not just verbally give God everything you want him to do as an expression of prayer. But prayer also involves a stillness that learns to listen to God. If all you do when you pray is talk, you're a halfway prayer coming to God with a one-way prayer. So don't just spew your problems upon the Lord and give God a laundry list of things you want Him to do and pat Him on the back and then turn and walk away, rush right back into life. No, learn to slow down Listen to God. And the way that you do that is simply by engaging the Word as you pray. God speaks through His Word. God speaks to you through His Spirit who lives within you. And that's what brings security and confidence and assurance. Not so much what we say to God. What brings assurance to a believer is what we, in our stillness, hear God say to us. So, uh, control how you respond. Learn to pray more than just one way to God. And then third, praise God in spite of the difficulty. 
You say, well, man, these times I just don't feel like praying. I'm down. I'm discouraged. I just don't know how to approach God, and I really just don't want to approach God. Here's the spiritual solution to that. You don't need to go to seminary to understand what it is. Do it anyway. Do it in spite of your feelings. Do it in spite of what you are compelled to do by your emotions. Verse 5 says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Now remember, David is having to light out of town. These are tough times for him. But he's reminded as he prays to God that the source of his trust has to be God alone, even when times are desperate. That's the beauty of prayer. Prayer is an avenue to worship. I don't think, I don't think real worship can take place in the absence of of a believer in his spirit, her spirit, being prayerful toward God. Because prayer is the avenue to worship. And prayer is the avenue of our worship today, even in the absence of a congregation that's gathered actually together. The Bible says, offer right sacrifices. Now, even though David was talking about an animal sacrifice, let me remind you, he would have done that at the temple. The temple's nowhere to be found. He can't go to the temple anymore. There's a time now in this hiatus between him, his throne, his palace, his kingdom, and the temple of God where he's got to worship God in a different kind of way, in different territory, much as we're having to do in these important days. And he still says, offer right sacrifices. Now, he's talking about an animal sacrifice. It doesn't apply to us. But this could apply to any kind of righteous sacrifice. I hope you've been offering to God the sacrifice of praise from your home this morning. I hope you're worshiping God with a sacrifice of listening this morning, a heart that's receptive to the Word of God and and, and to the things of God. I hope you'll continue to honor God with a sacrifice of giving, as Brian reminded us. Ministry goes on. We have things, we have obligations that we have to tend to. We have ministry that we have to tend to. So I encourage you. Offer right sacrifices. Give and it shall be given to you, the Bible says, even in an outbreak of virus. We can bring the sacrifice of praise. We can offer God sacrifice of time, sacrifice of giving, sacrifice of serving in these days where it's healthy and appropriate. All of those are expressions of worship. In times of uncertainty, don't not worship. Don't lose your song. Keep singing. Keep praising the Lord. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually, continually, forever be in my mouth. And then fourth, and to quote the psalm directly, put your trust in the Lord. Not in the markets. Not so much in your church. Not so much in your work. Well, we're learning There are many things this side of heaven that are really trustworthy, are there? David reminds us, put your trust in the Lord. Put your life in the Lord's hands. Trust him to be God. Then as you do, stay true to his promises. And, and, And that leads to our final observation this morning. Security comes to those who pray with confidence. Security comes to those who pray with maturity. But security and assurance also come to those who pray to a sovereign God and who pray with expectation. Are you expecting God 
to move in a powerful way. I'm telling you, I am hopeful. Let me tell you, I am hopeful that beginning today, the seeds of revival begin to sow all throughout Hillcrest Church. I pray that the seeds of revival begin to sow all across our Pensacola community and across our region and our land and our world. I pray that this is the beginning of a magisterial move of God that might not have happened otherwise. Sometimes it takes a crisis, a calamity even, to point people heavenward as the source of their only hope. And if the first part of our message today can be summarized by saying be calm and the second part can be summarized by saying be still, now we can be reminded that the third thing we're to do is to be hopeful. Be calm, be still, be hopeful. In verses 7 and 8, we find at least two consequences that result from David's prayer. The first is joy. You know what? David hadn't lost his joy. I mean, it's, it's a terrible thing that's happened to him. He says in verse 7, you've put more joy in my heart than they, the ungodly, have when their grain and wine abound. Now, this is a man who lost everything. He lost everything. And in the face of the, some who had gained everything, he said, I got more joy than they do. And that's how you know you're walking with the Lord. When everything crumbles, perhaps that you've spent years trying to build, and you're able to say, that's just stuff. Can't take it with you. I've not lost my song. And I'm telling you, that's a person that's abiding in Christ. That's a person that's walking in the Spirit of God. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. Man, this is no temporary joy that kind of blossoms with the flowers when they're in bloom. It's easy to live with joy when there's money in the bank and two cars in the garage and everything else is paid up. But what happens if all that goes away? David at one time had everything, and it's easy to be joyful in times like that. Now he's lost everything, but he's not lost his joy. The gladness of God had invaded his heart. And he was joyful in retreat. He was joyful in retreat. His people were mocking him, some throwing rocks at him along the way. He prayed. And prayer reminded him of the greater power of God. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. Second consequence of prayer, it's the backside of the coin. One side is joy, but when you pray, you have the blessing of peace. Look at verse 8. In verse 7, he says, you've put more joy in my heart. In verse 8, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Can you imagine that? Again, this is a guy that's saying, God makes me to dwell in safety, and he's got people trying to stone him. He was more confident in God than he was afraid of them. That's how this psalm kind of progresses. Have you noticed it? It opens with an expression of tremendous burden. There's an obvious burden that David 
conveys at the beginning. But yet it ends with a sense of confidence and joy and peace. In fact, this statement is kind of a foreshadowing. Verses 7 and 8 foreshadow the greatest psalm that David would ever write. Uh, And in the midst of the great Psalm 23, you remember what David said. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And this is why in times of crisis, times when things change fast on a dime and we don't know the territory and we don't speak the language, I'm just saying in times like that, you and I have to learn to think not hysterically, but historically. Think historically, not hysterically. A lot of people going hysterical today. But the believer doesn't have to do that. And the only way to keep from doing that is to look back and remind yourself the history of the move of God, the provision of God, the care of God, the love of God in your own life. You got to think about historical trends as it relates to God. That's true not only, by the way, in the stock markets that are up and down. A lot of people are panicking about an iffy market right now. But I'm telling you, and a lot of people are panicking too by toilet paper, paper towels. I don't know. How did people make it before toilet paper was invented? I don't know. But here's the thing. You've got to learn to remember the powerful works of God in your own life. Remember. You know that word's in the Bible almost 250 times? Remember, remember, remember. And part of the reason is because sin has broken us, and we come into the world now with these very good forgetters. We forget. Children of Israel were prone to forget. Remember in the Exodus? God had done all these miracles, and yet they still whined, and they still complained, and they still got afraid, and they still grumbled, and they still were impetuous, and then they still tried to do things in their own strength and in their own way. They forgot the power and the faithfulness of the Lord. And this is why the psalmist will write later in Psalm 77, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Will you? I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Let me tell you, when you fail to remember God, you will inevitably forfeit the blessing of joy and peace. So learn to think historically, not hysterically, and you'll find a peace that passes understanding. Now, brothers and sisters, here's the bottom line. No matter how strong the opponent, no matter how powerful the difficulty, doesn't matter if it's a Goliath, an Absalom, a Saul, doesn't matter if it's the Spanish flu, the swine flu, the corona flu, it doesn't matter. Ultimately, only God matters. And you know why only God matters? Because only God is in control. Coronavirus is not in control. The markets are not in control. The corporate magnets are not in control. The politicians are not in control. Only our God reigns. All authority has been given to me, Jesus said, in heaven and on earth. And nothing will ever separate you from the love of God. The Bible says neither height nor depth, nor angels, nor powers, 
nor things present, nor things to come, nor principalities. Nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The accusations may not stop. The accusers may not go away. The circumstances may not quickly change. But that's irrelevant because what can change is you. God can change the attitude and the spirit of the one wise enough to come to him in prayer. God can change the one who learns to put their trust in the Lord.